Welcome to Give a Heck. I am your host, Dwight Heck, and for much of my life, lived my life in quiet desperation, wondering how I was going to pay the bills, take vacations, save for retirement, and one day wondering if I would get off the hamster wheel of life and have purpose. A life that most of society lives, which takes us to work, then home, then repeat, and pays us hopefully enough just to survive. The harsh truth that most live with more months than money and have no idea how to live life on purpose, not by accident. This ensures the mass majority are living not just financially broke, however emotionally and mentally as well due to financial pressures. In each episode, I will introduce you to thoughts, ideas, and guests that can help you to learn how you too can live life on purpose, not by accident. Good day and welcome to Give a Heck. On today's show, I welcome Patty Catter. Patty's positivity and passion for life is contagious. Listening to her as you work out in the gym, on the commute to work, or in your earbuds as you tackle the day's tasks, you'll always hear an upbeat and encouraging voice dedicated to helping you learn, grow, and reach for the sky. Her background and life experiences are a mixture of ups and downs, highs and lows, wins and losses, and so much more that have given her the ability to inspire and help others in a way that few others can. She is a wife of a combat injured veteran and has helped him navigate the arduous journey through the military healthcare system to find the treatment he needs and has met with presidents and government officials to positively change policies for military veterans and their families. Patty is also a member and advocate of multiple nonprofit organizations, a contributing author of three books, and is also a talk show personality for Heroes Media Group as the co-host of The Decision Hour, a podcast dedicated to highlighting everyday heroes and helping us all make positive choices and decisions for the benefit of everyone around us. Overcoming trials with triumph is a personal mantra Patty has not only applied to her own life and family, it is also the driving belief she has used for over a decade to inspire others as they face life's challenges and seek personal growth. Her newest podcast, Wake Up With Patty, is a must-add to your daily routine. With her witty and positive attitude, Patty is interviewing other upbeat guests and discussing how each of us can get the most out of this journey we call life and create a path we love. I'd like to welcome you to the show, Patty. Thanks so much for agreeing to come on and share with us some of your life journey. Thank you, Dwight. You are so kind. Thank you for those nice words and thanks for giving a heck. (laughs) You're welcome. I try hard. (laughs) Um, So, Patty, one of the things I like starting out with is, you know, everybody wants to know a little bit about the person, obviously, that I'm having the conversation with, but I look at it a little bit differently. I talk to people about, you know, tell me your origin story. And the reason I talk about that is I'm a huge, huge Marvel fan. And Marvel always, you know, as a kid growing up, they'd have, uh, you know, even as an adult, they have movies and they all start seem to start in the middle. And they don't really talk about the origin of things until lately after the fact. Now they have, you know, the origins of how things got to where they were. Even Star Wars does it. But I don't want that. I don't want to just start in the middle and all the successes. I want to know what your origin is and what key things from your childhood to adulthood 
that led you to where you are currently? Mm -hmm. All right. So I was born in the city of Flint, Michigan. Flint has been well known for its bad water um, the last several years. But um, when I was growing up there, it was pretty nice. We moved um, when I was around third grade into a country setting. So um, when I was really little, we had a great neighborhood in Flint and I played with all the neighborhood kids from the time I woke up basically until the street lights popped on and we had to run back to our homes, you know. <laughs> um, really, really loved the outdoors and loved playing outside. I think I was outside over 90% of the time when I was small. And then when we moved to the country, I didn't have a lot of friends who lived close because it was in the country. So I did have one next door neighbor who was amazing. She was my best friend. She was a little bit older than me. She had cystic fibrosis. So I watched her struggle with her health. At, you know, when probably around the time I was in, I think fifth grade all the way through high school. And um, I think that she was a pretty big influence on me because she was still trying to be a kid while she was unhealthy. And I watched her go through a lot. Um, as far as my family goes, I grew up in a pretty strong family household. Um, I had both parents at home. I will be honest, I remember them bickering back and forth a lot, like too much for my for, for what I enjoy. But I think that now that I'm older, I think that's why I don't like bickering. <laughs> um, my dad was a very hard worker. He was probably the one who took me to most of my extracurricular activities. He was very involved in taking me to sports like volleyball and um, helped me with different fundraisers at school growing up that we had because I did go to a Christian school. Um, you can stop me at any time. I'll just ramble on forever. You know, go ahead. I'm enjoying <laughs> it. I'm taking notes. I always okay. take notes and that's why you see me leaning down. <laughs> I'm taking notes. Mm -hmm. So two of my grandparents, especially my grandpa on my mom's side and my grandmother on my dad's side really enjoyed flea markets and garage sales. So I went to a ton of those when I was little and I learned the importance of saving a penny. I think that's very important. Um, I just had really great people who cared about me uh, and showed it in different ways. So when I would go to my grandma's house over on my dad's side, she had a big garden and I would help her in the garden. And then I'd go over to my other grandmother's house and she would take me to all the fun restaurants growing up and we would go out to eat every time I would visit her. And then my grandpa, um, he died when I was 12 um, on my mom's side. And he was so fun. He really spoiled me. Ever since I was a baby, um, he would record tapes for me. And I still have some of those tapes to go back and listen to. So um, I just was very loved. You had a, you had a great, uh, great mixture of... of uh love you had well you know when some of the things you talked about like your parents bickering you know i recall my parents doing the same sort of thing but you know the parents i believe when they shelter their kids too much it's not a reality of life mm -hmm. the fact that people argue bicker don't get along is the reality of life and then it doesn't really prepare our children obviously we don't want them to see too much but mm -hmm. uh you know, you've had some great things going on from, you know, I really like the part about you saying your dad took you to your extracurricular activities because, as you know, as a single parent, I did that for my kids, right? 
mm-hmm. 90% of their stuff was me. Um, so I can relate to that. Um, Christian school that, you know, what did you find um, with school? Were you a good student? Were you, did you enjoy school? I hated school and I was not a good student. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I always was great as far as um, my personality went and as far as making friends and being nice to teachers. I was a good kid, but um, really the only class that I did very, very well in would be like writing classes. Um, English when I was a little bit older. I really enjoyed um, the creative side of things. I did not like math. I still do not like math. <laughs> um, I, I, yeah, to be honest, I, I didn't love school. I didn't wake up every morning and think, gee, I get to go to school today. It's like, oh, I don't feel good. Do I have to go to school? And yeah, you have to go to school. Go on. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I would, there's people that actually say, you know, oh, I wish I could go back. Never. I would never, ever go back. <laughs> Absolutely not. But that's, you know, it, it is, it's a, school is a character building time where people are segregated into groups. We get treated differently. We get introduced to topics. And I think that's when we first find out that, you know, we really don't like things like math or, mm-hmm. or other things like that. But it is who it is. It builds us, it builds our character and it gets us to where we are today. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, one thing that I, I really haven't talked about on any other show is I did, I did lose a, re- a really good friend when I was 15 years old. Um, he died when he Sorry. was lifting weights. And I, looking back, I do think that that helped shape me. I, I was very upset. I didn't understand what was going on. The school that I went to um, was not a great school as far as teaching people how to be loving. It was very um, hellfire brimstone kind of school. Oh, wow. Yeah. So um, for whatever reason, I feel I can open up with you about this. Of but, course you can. Um, I think that looking back, I was told, you know, that my friend was taken because God was trying to get our attention or that he was angry with us. And so after I, you know, during the process of growing up, I started to learn that's not what, you know, that's not how it happens or why things happen. Um, And I do believe looking back in my uh, teenage years that some of the losses that I had when I was younger helped me prepare for what was about to happen when I was older, after um, I met my husband and after we started working with military and we lost a lot of friends in war and things like that. Oh yeah. I could, I can see the, I guess it would be in a sense, a stepping stone from, mm-hmm. you know, childhood grief and coping to adult grief and coping. Mm-hmm. And I do know quite a few adults that have lost people for the first time they've never lost anybody in their childhood and sadly i i'm not one of those people i lost people when i was younger as well mm-hmm. and of course i've lost personal people in my life that were very young as you know with my granddaughter so i can totally understand that and then our parents don't really understand when we lose somebody as a child like you did they don't necessarily help us cope properly right. either and it's not because yeah. they, they don't want to I don't think adults, just like we aren't taught how to live life on purpose as a child, part of that living life on purpose is learning the process of loss. Mm-hmm. Um, even from losing a goldfish, mm-hmm. from losing a pet, 
obviously human life is a little bit different, but our parents really don't help us much. Here, mm-hmm. take your goldfish. Let's flush it down the toilet. I had stuff yeah. like that happen, right? I don't know if you mm-hmm. did, but really life doesn't <laughs> teach us to to grasp the fact of loss. So I can imagine it was quite shocking for you when you started losing, as you said, with your husband, you know, other people lost within the military. Was that something that affected and gripped your whole family? Or did you try to shelter that from your, from your children as it got older? Yeah. So I, um, there was a point where I felt like I needed to start sheltering my children from it. Um, when I was growing up, my dad talked about when he was little, he lost his dad. My dad's, um, dad had a heart attack when he was young and I never met my biological grandfather. Um, and so my dad used to talk about, you know, I'll, I'll, I do these things because I love you. And I didn't have a dad as a role model and he's trying to do his best, you know? And I remember when, um, Ken went to war, Ken is my husband. He went to war and our first fatality was in November of 2006. And that was Ken's truck driver. His truck commander was killed. And then three days later on um, Veterans Day of 2006, my best friend from, from that Christian school I was telling you about, her husband was killed in Iraq while he was there. They were two different units, two different situations. Um, and so my husband ended up coming home from R&R, or for R&R, which is like rest and recovery, about two weeks after both of those um, friends were killed. And when he was home during those two weeks, we went to two funerals in Washington, D.C. So we drove from North Carolina to D.C. with our kids, and we went to two military funerals. And then within two weeks, he was back in Iraq for another year. So during that year, um, we just kept losing one soldier after the next soldier. And finally, I believe it was around uh, March that I had to just quit telling the kids that we were losing all these people because, um, first of all, they were concerned for Ken, uh, one of the neighborhood kids, the day that he left, they were like, oh, you're never going to see your dad again because soldiers get killed. And how do you explain that to a six-year-old nine-year-old and a 12-year-old, you know, it's kind of hard. Yeah. So lots of anxiety, um, lots of anxiety mm -hmm. for them. Oh yeah. I, they slept in my bedroom so many nights out of that 15 months. And, um, we used to try different things. We tried like guided meditation, even to just help them get to sleep sometimes at night. I tried not to focus on Ken even being gone every single day. I tried to find new adventures to keep them busy And my parents actually, um, before Ken deployed, they moved from Florida to North Carolina to be by us and their neighbor's house came up for sale and we bought that house. So we lived right next door to my parents. So thankfully my kids had my parents right next door. Um, and it, it helped keep them busy. So. Oh yeah. It helps, it helps them keep busy and helps them cope. I can't even imagine you know, those nights they're climbing into bed and they're, you know, worried about their dad. Obviously they're, you know, it's tough though, because everybody thinks about, you know, I don't know people in the military in my own country. I've had relatives serve as well in our military and people forget about the support network 
that's going on behind the scenes, the wife, you know, and sometimes it's a wife that is in the military and it's the husband that's at home, but the kids are the ones that have the diff- most difficult time and you being at home while he's out serving, I can imagine the pressures of, like you said, having, it was great having the parents next door, but you know, what kind of a toll overall and how did it shape you into the person you are today? Um, raising your kids in that sort of a circumstance and you being fearful yourself of losing your husband. I, can, I can't even imagine how that made you feel. How, how did it shape you into who you are today? I'll give you one example of what happened when Ken was deployed. Um, there was one morning, early in the morning, first thing I woke up and my mom called me, even though she lived right next door, she called me and she said, Did, have you seen the news? And I was like, no, what's going on? And she's like, turn on the news. And while I'm talking, my phone's going off. I have somebody else calling me. And um, one of the ladies from our family readiness program through the army, she was calling me. She said, Patty, have you seen the news? And I'm like, what is going on? And so I flipped on the news and I will never forget. I saw that um, nine soldiers and Ken's um, in his unit were killed. They didn't give the names. They didn't, they only gave the location. And all I knew is that the last I knew that's where my husband was located and nine of the soldiers were killed and it was a platoon. They didn't say which platoon. Um, then the next thing, you know, my, my doorbell's ringing and that's what scared me because in the army, they will never call you to tell you that your spouse or a loved one had been killed. They will come to your house. My doorbell rang. And when that happened, my stomach just sank. And I went and I opened up the door. I didn't recognize the guy standing there because I was just so full of emotion. And all I noticed is he had an 82nd Airborne t-shirt on. I wasn't thinking that when the military comes to your house, they're in dress dress uniform. They're not going to come in a t-shirt to talk to you. Um, it ended up to be the guy who was going to mow my lawn that lived down the road. (laughs) Um, but I remember I literally just like, as soon as I realized who it was, I literally just sat on the floor, like in front of the door and he's like, are you okay? And I'm like, I don't know what's going on. And it was very emotional. But I remember at that point that I had been worrying so much for not only Ken, but everybody who, I mean, we made friends, you know, they are our friends. Of course. They were essentially our family. Um, so I remember my kids were home. They didn't know what was going on. They were confused because like they could tell I was upset. They could tell something was going on. I remember I only had the news on for a second and I turned it off because I couldn't watch it. And later we did find out who had been killed and it was not my husband. He went to go refit during that time. They had left not even 24 hours before that happened. And so he was not there, but some of our good friends um, lost family members that were there. And I just remember going back in to that point and thinking, you can sit and you can worry, but you cannot change what's going on just sitting there and worrying and freaking yourself out about things. And so I remember using that. I didn't exactly tell my kids that was the lesson. I would just always tell them we can sit around and we can worry and we can be anxious about things that are, are not even, you're not sure of, or you can just keep focused and keep on task. And that's kind of what I've done ever since then. Oh, and that's, and that's great. And I know um, it's something I've taught and, 
and educate people about, and you talked about worry specifically. I do educate people about that because I've, you know, people call you a worry ward. I grew mm -hmm. up in, you know, tumultuous situations with health issues in school and bullying and stuff. And I used to worry about everything. And I remember, I can't even remember how exactly I learned this, but you know, I was taught that worry is something that if you worry, you're, you're suffering twice because you worry about a circumstance that you don't know that's going to happen or not. Mm -hmm. And then when it does, so you worry up to that point and then it happens and then you worry about how you're going to resolve it. So now you've just suffered twice and tortured yourself twice. Exactly. It, it's not easy to live a life where you don't worry, but mm -hmm. when you become conscious of the fact that you're worrying and then you worry about other people, but, you know, at least you learn to get to a point where you could cope and move on with life, because that's one of the things that, that concerns me the most is, you know, can being out, you don't know what's going to happen, but the, the support network at home, you and the kids it, are the things that most people overlook. They forget mm -hmm. that there's people at home that are, you know, all of a sudden that door, knock, 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 they have their dress right? Their dress clothes on and they're informing you that your loved one has passed. I can't imagine every time that he'd go off to, you know, combat, go to serve in another mission, the fear that you felt. So, you know, considering the person I've gotten to know and meet, like you're a strong woman, good job, right? It's, it's I can't Thanks. imagine, you know, and you, your kids are all growing up now um, and everything, so it, it must have been tough. Like, I really don't, do you mind sharing what exactly happened with Ken and how he got injured? Sure, no problem. Um, so he was out on patrol in his up armored Humvee and they were just driving down a route that they took all the time. I think one of his biggest complaints was we're taking the same path every single time. And so these terrorists know where to plant these IEDs. Um, so they're going down the road and an IED, which is an improvised um, explosive device, went off underneath the seat of his vehicle. Since it was an up-armored vehicle, he did not lose any limbs. Um, he, he was very lucky there. He did, however, um, suffer a, a moderate to severe head injury is what we found out later after he came home. He did have blood coming out of his ears and the medic, you know, looked at him. They gave him a purple heart. He stayed in a purple heart for those who don't know. It's just, it's an award basically for getting hurt. It's an award you never want. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and um, I didn't even ex understand the extent of his injury and I, and many other people did not either um, because head injury in the U.S., we didn't really understand back then. It was in 2007 that he had been wounded in May that year. And he, along with several other in his unit, did suffer many concussions and things like that along the way. So when they were pulling him out of that um, situation, um, they hit another IED. So he actually, they hit two IEDs. And we're not really sure which one did the most damage. Um, but as soon as he came home, the very first day that he came home from war, he, so he stayed out there the rest of his deployment. Um, we only talked a handful of times on the phone because they had something called a satellite phone and they could only talk a few minutes at a time on those. And it, was very, it would be weeks sometimes when I did not hear from him. Um, so when he came home, the first day he was home, 
we ate dinner. My parents were over. We had just like hot dogs. <laughs> I don't know how I remember that, but we had hot dogs. And it was just something like easygoing because I knew he was going to be extremely tired because he just came back from another country. And about an hour after we ate, he asked what's for dinner. He did not remember eating. And I thought he was joking or I thought he might have jet lag or something because, you know, how could you not remember eating? He just, you know, he stuffed his face basically. <laughs> yeah. And, um, so then he started getting upset because he thought we were joking that telling him that we ate and he didn't remember eating. So I was like, well, just go to sleep. You know, you get some rest. <laughs> I'm sure he ate again in between that time, but he had a seizure that night. And that is what, um, that's oh, wow. when we started figuring out that there was something else pretty major going on with him. I did tell him he needed to go to the doctor. I told him, I'm not going to sit here and watch him um, not understand what's going on with him. He needed to go. No questions asked. You're going to the doctor. So he ended up going to the doctor and they referred him over to a neurologist right away who diagnosed him with moderate to severe head injury. Um, he did have extensive seizures. He couldn't drive for about four and a half years or so. And so I was taking him to all of his appointments and things. Um, I ended up pulling the kids out of school and homeschooling them and doctor's appointments and such because um, my, at the time too, my mom was struggling. She had cancer and my dad was trying to take care of her and so it was a pretty chaotic time in our lives. And um, so within just a very short time of him seeing the neurologist, uh, the neurologist noticed that he, Ken had his shoulders up a lot. He, Ken, he asked Ken, why is that? Ken said his neck's been really hurting ever since he was in Iraq. So um, the neurologist ordered tests and found out he needed surgery on his neck right away. And within a very short time, just like a few days, we ended up going from North Carolina to Washington, D.C. for surgery on his neck. So we had a lot going on. <laughs> oh, I'm, yeah, I, I can't imagine. And now it, and the reason the listeners and I need to understand this is, you know, the journey of where you are and, and all the different things that, you know, I haven't really talked to about it. The listeners, I'll let them know a little bit more as we go through this. Mm -hmm. You've, you've transpired um, and risen above all the tumultuous things that happened. And it's made you into an advocate to ensure other people have support. And some people in life, there's two choices. You could retreat and put your head into the sand or you can fight. And it doesn't mean that you didn't have some difficult times. I can't even imagine having to, you know, find out that he's got head injury. He's got, he's going through seizures and he's getting neck surgery and just, you know, even pulling your kids out of school and having to homeschool through all that. Um, you know, wow. Yeah, character building moments is, is the best way to put it, you know, but you went through a lot of crap. It's just, yeah. You know, um, reflecting back at my parents, my dad, he, he was very, um, I don't know if I should say hard headed. He was very, he was a very, very strong person. <laughs> he had a very strong personality. Um, he always, he did always stand up for what was right. Um, and he always, he told me ever since I was little, and this is definitely true. I won't argue with this. Um, he said, you know, you're really stubborn. 
you can use your stubbornness to really help a lot of people. And so I just remember him saying that to me a lot. Like he, he would get really mad at me about, I thought it was goofy things, you know, but he just wanted me to make correct, good choices. Um, but I remember him saying that so many times, you're so stubborn, use that stubbornness to help people. And that's definitely, I, I do that. <laughs> well, that, you know, and being stubborn, you know, I've been told similar things and I've mentioned it to others. It's really in essence, your dad was telling you that's your superpower, right? That's mm-hmm. your, that's your shield. That's how you're going to help protect yourself and others. And, you know, just learn to rein it in Patty. This is the way, you know, this is good, but you know, you have to be cognizant of it. And that's the mm-hmm. biggest things. Everybody always looks at life negative. So some people could think being stubborn is a negative, but your dad's seen it as a positive and, and you embrace that. And that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if he saw it as a positive all the time. <laughs> well, I'm not, of course he wouldn't have, but you know, he did bring it up though, as you mentioned that it can be something that could be used for good. I don't mm-hmm. think any parent is going to totally embrace their children being stuck, <laughs> but that's, yeah. you know, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I do. Go on. I do, I do remember a, a lieutenant colonel in the army. He, he pulled me aside one day. We were walking down one of the halls at a warrior transition battalion. He pulled me aside and he said, I want you to know, I know you have good intentions, but you're just a military spouse and you're not going to be able to really change the way the army functions for our families. And that stubbornness wow. kicked in. Yeah. Oh, and wow. I don't know if he was trying reverse psychology on me or what, but that really um, made me want to change things even more. <laughs> well, one of the one of the comments I wrote down here because I did I wrote I got a couple pages of stuff because I never know where conversations are going to go. That's what I find out as I continue on this podcast journey. I put in, "Do you ever feel like you were discounted, ignored, being the wife of a military veteran fighting to get the support the family deserved?" Mm-hmm. So, yes. Yeah, so I definitely did it first. Um, and I learned very quickly that a military spouse does not have to obey the chain of command. And I decided that I was not going to obey the chain of command because I did see some things that were not right going on. And it would be from lower, um, I wouldn't say lower enlisted, it would be from young, younger NCOs, which is, um, you know, you have the big high generals and then you have the other people underneath them. And the big high generals normally want, they actually, I would say 99% of the time, they want the families taken care of too. And they want to always see the right thing done. And it's just like the younger people or the more inexperienced who are making these bad decisions to not allow good things to happen. So um, we had some struggles with somebody with a chain called cadre. There were soldiers who were supposed to be in charge of taking care of our wounded soldiers or our ill soldiers, and they weren't doing things the way that they should have been done. So I learned quickly um, to find out who's in, <clears throat> basically who's in charge, and I contacted a general, General Cheek, who over he would oversee the entire Warrior Transition Battalion, all of them for the whole nation of you know the whole United States. Wow. So. I ended up talking with him and he really helped us a lot. 
So I learned that um, you just, not everybody's going to be on your side. That's okay. But when it comes to doing the right thing, you need to press on and, and um, try, to do, try to make sure the right thing is happening because it wasn't just Ken who was affected. There were young soldiers who were, you know, 20, 21, 22 years old who had nobody there for them. So if I didn't stand up for Ken and the other soldiers, nobody else would have, or I would say nobody else that I knew, because there are great, there's other great people who are trying to help our soldiers back then. There's tons of them, but I'm talking about like my immediate family and our immediate friends. Well, and you have to worry about your, your circle, mm-hmm. you know, Patty's world, like mm-hmm. I have Dwight's world and you have your family and you have your, your people that belong within your tribe. So I can imagine, you know, yes, there's lots of other people out there that are helping others, mm-hmm. but it's still a big task to take on what you took on to, you know, be discounted in some ways for being that military wife and that you really don't have any power to you kicking in with your stubbornness saying, you know what, screw that. I'm a tenacious person, stubborn, whatever you want to call it. I'm just going to go out and I'm going to do whatever it takes to help others because indirectly it's going to help out my circle. Um, You talked about young soldiers and them being more difficult and the more experienced. Well, that's, that's life in general. Young people are always trying to, you know, strut like a peacock or whatever, right? They're trying to, to show their, their worth and that they're, they're going to get things done. So it's good, good that you understood that the chain of command wasn't something you necessarily had to follow. And you found a general that was willing to, you know, be compassionate. And that's the biggest thing that people have found that I've found causes problems in anything is people lose their compassion for others, their empathy. And for me, that's my superpower. I think you and I have talked about that before. Um, Being empathetic toward one another helps right? It helps people. It helps them learn to be empathetic towards you as well. So um, you eventually got the help that you deserved. And are you still struggling today? Sometimes. I mean, um, a lot of people think we have this little perfect life, but sometimes, yes. Um, You know, Ken still has doctor appointments. He still has back procedures that are done periodically every couple I would say two times a year, he has to have a spinal ablation is what that's called. Um, and then we still have kids. Uh, they're older now and they're great. Um, 20, 24 and 27. And, um, you know, we, life still goes on. So um, I like to remind people of that because people often, when you're talking about military families, they often focus on the immediate core family, but then there's also other things going on outside of your immediate core. So I mentioned earlier that my mom had cancer. Um, I did not mention this on any other show before, but my dad tried to commit suicide just before my mom passed away from cancer. So that was a, a very big blow. Um, And And that was amongst all the other things you were dealing with as well Mm -hmm. that you had mentioned. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's a lot of dynamics that come into play for our, our military families and, and people in general, you, you know, you may have a good friend, a civilian friend, and you may think that you know everything about him or her just because you spend a little bit of time with them, but you don't really realize the whole dynamics, the whole 
picture of that everybody has. And sometimes there's things we don't want to talk about. And um, this is probably the first show I've, I've been able to feel very comfortable opening up about a few of these things. Um, but, but we're all human and we have a lot of crap to deal with, all of us. <laughs> Hydroplane above it, eh? It's, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, that's, the biggest thing is, is you're, you, you made a valid point. You talked about your dad with, with, uh, you know, suicide and that, you know, for the listeners out there, I do know people that have committed suicide. I've had relatives commit suicide, close people to me in my life commit suicide. And really it, you can be that person that could make a difference. It can be one conversation different from them committing suicide to not. Uh, I know I've talked to people within my own client um, base that talk about the fact that they've had a conversation with somebody just off the cuff, messaged them, called them, and found out years later that that day that person was considering killing themselves and their conversation or their reaching out to them was enough just to make them realize that life was worth living. So um, yeah, I can't, I can't even fathom the amount of mental and emotional stress you were going through, through all this period of time to mm-hmm. find out about cancer, to find out with your mom and to find out that your dad, you know, wow, you're such an inspiration. <laughs> I, I can't even imagine. Thank you. You're well, welcome. Also, I think something that I finally have, I've been learning my, so my dad passed away in 20, 2015 and um, he, I say he bro- died of a broken heart, um, but I also believe that it was intentional and it was deliberate how he passed oh, okay. away. And um, one thing that I've, I've learned is um, not only just from my dad's journey, my mom and dad were married for 50 years. They knew each oh. other in kindergarten. They were in the same kindergarten wow. class. Wow. Um, they were in prom together. I mean, they were always together. And, um, I always thought my dad was so, so, so strong. And it's those things that we kind of talked about earlier. You don't know really what's going on behind closed doors. It looks like a perfect life or whatever. Um, and then I've had other friends who have killed themselves. Um, and one thing I think it's important to remember if you're a a suicide survivor is that you could have tried, you could have been there, you I have been in situations where I've, I walked one uh, soldier through years of trying to get him help and resources, and he went inpatient. And then ultimately, a few days, or he checked himself out of inpatient care a few days early, and he went home and overdosed. So it's important, I think, for everybody to remember that though you can try really hard, and I encourage everybody to reach out to people and to love them and embrace them. And I talked to my dad the day before he died. And, um, I thought something was a little off, but I thought he was being a little sarcastic cause he had like, he would do that sometimes like joking or just being his sarcastic self. Um, he, I said something about, we'll be at Thanksgiving next week at your house. And he's like, I'm not doing the holidays this year. And it was just that simple sentence that went right over my head. And the next morning, uh, my brother found him, um, dead basically. Wow. And, um, he had a loving family and he had people reaching out to him and we tried to give him everything that we could give him in between the time where my mom passed away. And then the time it was seven months after that, that he, um, he passed away. And 
it was, you know, we had him to our house. We had him, you know, stay the night over here. We had him um, trying to do things with him and it, it didn't matter. So, I mean, I mean, it mattered and it didn't, you know what I mean? Like yeah, ultimately. Course, yeah. So, so just, if you are a suicide survivor, I would say don't beat yourself up over the head so badly. I'm still trying to swallow that pill myself. Um, and it's very hard sometimes, but um, I just wanted to throw that out there too. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah. For the people listening, you know, be cognizant of little things. Like you mentioned, your dad said, well, I'm not doing the holidays this year. And it went over your head, mm-hmm. you know, even yourself, you can't beat yourself up about it because we don't, as a society really want to acknowledge the fact that people's um, mental or emotional state of mind is at a, a state where they may take their lives. And we just, we, we don't, we discount it or we have our own emotional things. Our emotional plate are, are is overflowing and we miss little signs like that. And the next thing you know, our loved ones or people we know have taken their lives and then even after the process, as you mentioned, we feel guilt about it, right? We, mm-hmm. we beat ourselves up. And really, for those that are listening, reach out to people, um, communicate with them, especially with what's going on with the pandemic. We need to connect with people. I was communicating with somebody, and I forget who it was in the last couple of days, that they reached out to somebody, uh, an elderly person that hadn't heard from somebody and communicated with anybody in a couple of weeks And they spent just a few minutes um, communicating with them. And it might even, I think it might even have been some, it might even have been a post I read from you. It might even have been you that had done that. I read so much. Um, But, you know, I I believe it was you. You you know, you got to reach out to people. You need to contact that person, even if it's a simple message. You know, there's a lot of seniors out there. My parents being, uh, you know, in their late 70s or both 79 they both have uh, social media now that I've helped them get on to. They, you know, we, you can text seniors, you can do whatever. Even that little text can make a difference in people's lives. So just reach out. And there's so many different support services. You could reach out to Patty or myself, even if you just needed somebody to chat to or you needed a focus or a direction to different agencies that can help you. Don't live in quiet desperation. Too many people do that. Mm-hmm. So um, I put down here, and I do believe this, you're a true inspiration to others. Patty is a member of the advocate of multiple nonprofit organizations, a contributing author of three books, and also a talk show personality. The journey to get to this point would have made many bitter and jaded. However, you stayed upbeat and positive, at least from what I've seen, and still constantly strive to help others. What positive self-care tips can you recommend that you utilized and still do today to stay the course and not lose faith? Mm -hmm. Definitely self-care is important. Um, It took me several years to figure that out, and I always put myself to the side. Um, so now I have on my calendar appointments for myself. I actually, last week I started doing something called float therapy and it's amazing. Um, I can talk about that some other time, but, um, just really important to put yourself on your calendar and make that a priority because I made my appointments before, but I made them easily movable. So for instance, I would say, Oh, Ken needs to go to 
to an appointment, I'll just switch mine. Nope, not anymore. I keep my appointments no matter what. So whether it's having my nails done, just going and keeping up, getting a hair trim. Um, I, I have been having a hard time trying to go to the gym. It causes me a lot of anxiety lately just because people are kind of freaked out about COVID. So I bought myself virtual reality game that I can exercise with and I love it so much. I did like three hours of it between <laughs> yesterday and today. <laughs> with the o Oculus? Is that what I... Yeah. 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 I'd never heard of that before. So I'm going to have mm -hmm. to look up that. I, I was reading yesterday that you had, you had done that. Um, oh, so fun. Self-care um, is so important though. It is. And so I think... I. I think that's number one that I wish everybody could learn right away because when you feel good and you start looking good, if you don't already look good, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> if you're getting, letting yourself get all shaggy and stuff, yeah, shaggy, um, yeah. clean yourself up a little yeah. bit because when you feel good, other people are going to feel good around you and um, the energy feeds off of each other. So when I'm happy, my household is happy. And I think that's important. Oh yeah. And I do know what float therapy is. Uh, I've actually done it. Um, but yeah, well, for the audience, for the people listening, research it. It, uh, it isn't for everybody. Um, I personally have done it and it, I just got very claustrophobic. Mm -hmm. Whereas my niece and other people, friends, they do it all the time. They have like a subscription service for it. Right. So I know it works. Check it out. Um, it can work for you. It can be something that's very relaxing, but we won't get into that today. Mm -hmm. um, so you've been podcasting for 14 years, right? If I recall. Yeah. 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 From our, yeah. From our prior conversations, you were podcasting before they even called it that. <laughs> yeah. And now you have a top rated podcast, Wake Up With Patty Catter, on all major podcast platforms, 16 syndicated radio stations across the US, plus one can also watch on Amazon TV or Roku. That is quite the accomplishment. And I imagine you have many exciting guests on over the years. Can you tell me one conversation you've had in the last 14 years that still resonates with you today and why? Yes. Um, Michael Schlitz is how you pronounce his name. He was in the army and he talked about his incident while he was in the military, um, I can't remember off the top of my head. I want to say he was in Afghanistan, but don't, don't quote me on that. It could have been Iraq. Um, but he went into great detail about how he was wounded in combat. And he talked about literally his body was on fire and he was burned on 80% of his body. He lost both of his arms. Um, he has two hooks for hands now and um he lost his ears like his 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 entire um physical body was transformed obviously mentally he went through a lot and then he overcame all of that to help with nonprofits to help other military veterans oh, but i'll wow. never forget like he went into such detail about um how badly his his body was burning and um just some of the thoughts that he had and things like that and i thought I literally have, I, I literally have no excuse to be stagnant in life. You look at somebody like that, who has been through so much more than me and so much more than a lot of people. Um, there's always someone somewhere worse off than you. And I just know that when I start to feel kind of, ugh, um, I just reflect on different people like Michael, 
um, who have really um, come a long way since their injury. And if they can get, if they can work to get past that, we can too. Oh yeah. You know, we bring up a valid point though. When other people that go through tragedies like he went through and then they turn around and want to help others, they, sometimes they realize, but I've talked to many people, they don't realize how their strength is actually a radiant energy to others. And it actually sets an example and helps people um, feel better about their own circumstances and realizing that, you know, you can rise to the top. Um, Mm -hmm. So that was, that's fantastic. Um, Thank you for sharing that. Um, Overcoming trials with triumph is a personal mantra you have, Patty. Can you explain exactly what that means to you and how it has helped your family and you persevere? <laughs> Honestly, um, I, I think that through my whole life, um, I've been through trials. Like I, ever since I can really remember, I've been through something and we all have, whatever level it is, you know? Mm-hmm. And I just know that for me, I look at it as, a challenge most of the time. Sometimes I'm like, are you serious? Like it's something else to deal with. Um, but we, we all have trials every single day, even if it's a tiny trial or maybe it's a big trial and we can have two options. We can say, Oh, screw it. I'm going to stay in bed today. I'm going to whine about it. I'm going to cry about it. I'm going to, I'm just going to go live under a rock somewhere, or you can overcome it and you can become better and you can help other people become better and you can, um, just get past that. So every day, look at your tiny little trial or your huge trial and just think that I'm going to overcome that trial and I'm going to triumph over that. Oh, that's, that's so true though. We have a choice every single day. Um, like you said, either you're going to have, you're going to either embrace the situation, you know, that you're going through, you have your small or your big trials, pardon me. And what are you going to do to triumph over it? I know some of the things that I've had to do when in regards to, you know, those trials and stuff was for me being a Christian, I turn to God. I like even this morning waking up, I, I do gratitude. I thank God for being alive. I think, you know, I welcome into my day. I have to do different things to, you know, keep the demons away, the mental demons, which a lot of times are the reasons why I have those, you know, trials. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's, thank you for sharing that. Um, So your newest podcast, Wake Up With Patty, I had the pleasure of being on recently. Can you share what's in store for you next, Patty? I don't know. Um, I started this last year and I just planned on it being a podcast. And then I found out, gee, I can do radio. Gee, I can do Amazon TV. Gee, I can do Roku. I have no idea what's next. Every day I'm surprised. <laughs> so I have no idea. Well, and that's okay. You know, sometimes the unknown is excite, just as exciting as knowing, you know, people in our lives say we have to have everything so cut and dried and defined, you know, you have to have everything just like, um, you talked about when I go back and I look here, you talk about you. So put yourself on your calendar. It's mm-hmm. the same thing about people. Be, there's people that live a structured life on a 168 hour calendar for a week. And there's those that use just lists. And when their list is done, they feel accomplished. Everybody seems to have their own things that they utilize and define where they should 
go on a day where they should go in a year or five years. So there's nothing wrong with not knowing where you're going to go next. Like you've accomplished a tremendous amount. I was just curious to see if you, you know, if you're just going to not sit back necessarily, but enjoy their jump times. We just have to sit back and quit growing and enjoy the journey. It's okay yeah. to, I talk to people about climbing and camping. Too many times people in life camp too long and they forget to continue to climb. But I think what you've created for yourself, it's pretty impossible for you to camp. You're going to be climbing the rest of your life on the journey of uh, not just podcasting, but helping out other military families, um, doing your podcast. And, you know, and you're author of co-author of three books. Have you ever thought about writing your own book? I have. And I've, I've done a lot of writing. Um, I've thought about writing a book. I have been really busy. <laughs> so I, I, I need to consider that a little bit more. I do have a publisher uh, ready for me anytime I'm ready to go. Um, so I, I do think that that might be in the very near future. Um, Adam Bird from Heroes Media Group and I, we did put together a couple books. We did not publish those yet. Um, so there's a few things in the works. I, I have learned, I will say, through a lot of loss in life that you can plan your life out a week from now and a lot can change in a week. So oh, of course. be flexible with yourself too. <laughs> exactly. So Patty, if you had to give our listeners one last closing message, what would you tell them in regards to giving a heck and never giving up? Oh my goodness. I literally was just going to say, never give up. <laughs> um, be persistent. I think that's big. I have been podcasting for 14 years. When I started, I thought it was just going to be something I was going to do for six months. And then I thought that would be it. Um, but I love it. I enjoy it. Um, go with your passion and don't give up. A great message. Well, our time is almost up and I want to respect our listeners in your time. However, before we end, can you please tell the listeners what is the best way to reach you? Mm -hmm. So you can go to my website. It's patty, P-A-T-T-I, catter, K-A-T-T-E-R.com. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I'm not too active on Twitter though. Um, I, lately, I've been trying to scale back a little bit on social media. Um, but you can always find me uh, if you look around enough and you can always go to my website and email me. Um, my social media handles all have my text number. Fantastic. And I'll make sure that, uh, you know, the information for your sites and their handles and stuff is put in the show notes. So thanks so much for being on Give a Heck, Patty. I appreciate your time and sharing some of your experiences so that others can learn it is never too late to give a heck. Thank you for taking time out of your day and listening to Give a Heck. If you find value, I'd appreciate you sharing with your friends and family so they too can learn how to live life on purpose, not by accident. So you do not miss the next episode. Please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and please also post a review. I look forward to reading your comments. This has been Dwight Heck. If you want to check out other podcast episodes or today's show notes, please check out my website, giveaheck.com. And until next time, together let us all strive to give a heck.